Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about taking agile approaches to AI and machine learning initiatives in order to gain the most business value. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Luke Aragoni, CEO and Principal Data Scientist at Aracor AI. Luke, welcome to the show. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to, to talking through the subject with you. Definitely uh, definitely relevant to a lot of things going on. But why don't, why don't we start by just if you can briefly give some background on yourself and, and, and what you're currently doing. Yeah, of course. So for the last 15 years or so, I've worked uh, as a consultant across data science projects. Then long before they were called data science, uh, it's basically uh, some companies had lots of data and they wanted to figure out how to make money from it. And I've worked for companies like uh, UPS and Goldman Sachs and Getty Images and AT&T and Stryker Medical, Johnson Johnson. We've been just really lucky. We have a, kind of a really nice client list and it's given us a lot of exposure to really big projects and some really small startup type projects. And, and yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what we're doing right now. Wonderful. Well, um, so today we're going to talk about how business leaders can be most successful with their AI and ML-based initiatives when results are sometimes hard to predict. So let's let's first start out by defining the challenge. Why are the results of some AI or ML-based initiatives hard to predict in the first place? This is such a great topic. So there's this idea around determinism in software that we really don't have enough conversations around. Like, So if I say I'm going to put a button on a website, the deterministic nature of that is so high that most people can with great accuracy say what the acceptance criteria is. Like this is a completed button on a site and it works when you hit this and does that. And you also can estimate how long it would take. And so in this respect, we've taken 30 years of software development and we've tried to turn it into this process of determinism of, you know, we, we, we remove all these risks and we end up saying this is what's left and what's the estimate. And when we approve it, if we think the ROI is there. Uh, data science isn't that, unfortunately. Data science is, well, let's make a project where we don't know what the acceptance criteria is. Like, we don't know if we'll get value from this. And we don't even know if we can get to the place that we don't know if we would have value from it. You have this multifaceted uh, non-determinism that makes it difficult to, one, approve projects, but also, two, to know if it was successful or not. So, um, you know, I could dive in at any point you want on that, but I, I totally admit there's a, a huge gap right now in how we evaluate these projects. Yeah, well, I mean, to, then to follow on that, how do leaders make decisions or prioritize or, you know, what's when they can't, A, they don't know if it's going to be successful or not, and B, it is a different way of thinking. You know, I, th- I think that button example is is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that one because it is so... Um, there is a, you know, there, there are certainly questions to be asked, but, you know, not, not really being able to determine the outcome. Like, yeah, how, how does a leader approve one initiative over another when, when things are a bit nebulous? Yeah. So the, the first thing that, that we always do is we do everything in spikes, right? We, we do like a POC. And so um, part of like a discovery process here is 
can we take an easy data set and build a, a, we'll call the naive model. And this is like, we're talking about a couple of weeks, right? And we see how far we can get with that. So if I can take a couple of weeks and just completely experiment on this thing, and then, you know, at the end of the month, we're saying, yeah, it looks like we're 80% of the way to the goal. Then it becomes less mystery and more um, concrete. We're like, well, if we were 80% precise on this problem, would that bring value? Who would it bring value to? How much value would it bring? And then you say, okay, if I'm 80% now, and I know that I'd get value at that, you know, then there's obviously like you can choose to just productionalize your POC, or you can say, well, I really need to get to 90%. And then you take another step of, you know, discovery of what kind of data would we gather? It might be a, a higher margin data. You can, you can think of it kind of how oil production works in the world, where the, the cheapest oil is the oil that's like bubbling up off the ground, right? You don't really get that anymore. Right. And the most expensive is like those shale oil fields in Canada, right? And uh, and by the way, I'm not an oil expert. So if there is there are other ways, please excuse my uh, analogy. But hopefully we understand that like certain productions get turned on as the, the, the projects or as the costs go up. And so that's how you have to think about data science is what's the cheapest thing to do now to get the farthest distance till you can de-risk the rest of the project you don't want to start off by saying, let's go get all the expensive data sets. Let's build this huge greenfield data AI model and let's do it all from the beginning, you know, and let's approve it all as a massive budget. That is definitely a recipe for failure. Uh, even if you're successful, it's only really by luck. And so I, I always stress with leaders, try and find a, a bite-sized chunk that you can do to de-risk the project and then just keep doing that as frequently as you can. Yeah, totally agree. And that's, you know, with, with the organizations I work with, it's always, let's do a POC, let's do, you know, what are the POC pilot project, you know, all of these, there's, there's various names for it, but always, you know, start small, iterate, crawl, walk, run. Um, what makes for, from your um, perspective, what makes a good POC? Like, are there, are there qualities to it? Are there, are there ways to think about crafting one? Again, yeah. re requirements notwithstanding, you know, how, how should you think about it? So I, I think the, the first thing is, should it be done? Because sometimes, like, models get built and they're done and they're great. And then there's like, well, who does it actually help? Yeah. Sometimes it's a, it's a misunderstanding on the data science part of how the business works. And this is something where I think your audience is uniquely positioned to help prevent, right? So it's, can you, like, if I'm in data science and I try to predict how often people will open emails and, you know, those who work for an e-commerce company say, okay, I could predict this person will open an email, but really that's, you know, that's not a problem that anyone wants to solve. Like maybe none of our revenue gets driven through email, which would be rare, but let's just pretend it does. Right. As a data scientist, I might spend a month and find a 99% model, accurate model that does this. And then the business is like, fantastic. We don't care. And it may be this cool thing that you could predict when people will open an email, and yet it has no real purpose. And so understanding, and this is a very extreme example, often it's more nuanced and people on the call probably know what I'm talking about. There's like a slight direction change that the model needed early on so that it was worth something, but it was never taken. And so now it's not worth very much at all. So I, in the POC stage, I would really set the ground floor for what does that end state look like? So that everyone is hyper-focused on that end goal and we don't accidentally create something which no one needs. Yeah, yeah. So shifting a little bit, but um, let's talk a little bit about transparency in the in the results and, and, and in the process. So 
you know, AI ML is, is great, but there's often a, you know, you put something in and you get this magical return at the, you know, at, at the outset, but you're not always sure what went into getting that return. Right. So, you know, how does, how does transparency work? I mean, there, it, it seems like there's a cost in adding too much transparency perhaps, and not having enough may, maybe, you know, prevents leaders and, and others from making the best decisions. But how do you look at transparency? And, you know, what's, you know, how do you look at that mix of more versus less and, and everything like that? Model explanations are something that I think are in vogue. People really do want that right now. They want to understand what's going in or how the thing that's going in is transformed. The, the problem is, as you've highlighted, it's hard to do that with modern models because a lot of the modern models are working at a level of dimensionality which is beyond our dumb hunter-gatherer brains, right? I am actually, I've been in a number of means where I've had to explain to people like, there's no analogy here. This is just like a 300-dimensional space, right? Yeah. And that's not something that my brain handles or your brain handles, so you just have to trust me that the machine can do it. And that sucks, right? To be at that level of transparency of like, there isn't a good analogy. I can't show you a 300-dimensional cube. Right. right. But we can talk about things and try and break down you know, what that would look like in a lower dimension. And so we have these kind of projections of transparency where, you know, I'll talk to leaders around, they'll say, well, how does it get transformed? And I, I of course, disclose, like, this isn't the actual way, but it's a projection of the way it actually does it. And then I talk about, like, high level, we look at these features and these features care, or these features matter to the outcome. And so the model will use them in this kind of weighted way. And if they say, well, what specific weights made this specific row in for that specific outcome, it really becomes a very difficult game. And so we stress to leaders that what we do is a lot of testing. So let's test lots of data that we weren't able to train on. We call it validation data. And we validate that this thing actually works. And then as a second step, what we do is we say, let's take production data, not show customers the outcome, but let's pretend that we're going to show it. And then we have humans validate that as well. So what we end up doing is developing a lot of trust and confidence in the models through experiential paths instead of trying to do the let's teach leaders high-dimensional mathematics when even the people that are programming it still have to sit and think about for an hour just to understand. Got it. Got it. So one one more thing here on just over, overall processes and, and things like that. How do you look at using Agile principles I mean, I would even argue that the idea of a POC is is agile in and of itself. But you know, how how do you combine agile principles um, to get better results from the AIML initiatives? We talked earlier about that that deep collaboration at an early stage with business and data science. I think that never goes away. I think throughout the whole POC and then beyond, that understanding that the product knows what's going on, that you don't just like waterfall surprise them in a month with like, hey, look what we built. Yeah. Um, is really important in data science. Because like, here's a good example. I'll go through data, and I'm trying to build a model, and I can see that there's a column of data which I think I understand, but I want some more input for. So I'll book time with product or, or a data analyst or something like that, a role that would be really understanding of the, the data itself, but also what it means to our business. And that kind of like uh, iterative process of going through and getting explanations and understanding it is critical to success because if i just assume that it's one thing and it's not that's a problem i'll find out three weeks later at some demo when they're like oh luke you know why didn't you just ask us and then also when it comes to testing and qa it is a a part of as i as i change the model 
I need to work with how we validate that it'll be correct. And so there's a lot of elements to Agile, right? But I think the idea around uh, deep, constant communication is critical to the success of any data science program. Yeah. Yeah, to- totally agree. And and I, I like the idea. It's kind of like the POC never really ends, you know, because we're always learning and we're always adapting. And even though it may be a much more mature initiatives at that point, that that same spirit. And and yeah, whether you're, you know, what I would call big A agile or small A agile, you know, really there certainly there's a lot of detail. You know, if you if you subscribe to Scrum, there's there's rituals that get performed and all that stuff. But really it's it's more an agile mindset, whether it's formalized or not. Um, so uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit here and talk a little bit about a few sectors and uh, where you see the biggest uh, current opportunities. So let's start with um, the B two C market and a couple a couple industries I work uh, quite a bit in financial services and, and healthcare. Um, what are some opportunities in in either or both of those sectors that you see with with AIML and you know where, where's the biggest opportunities there? So. Healthcare, there's an enormous opportunity with all the, um, really the EMR data. You have, well, see, I'll take a step back. I've done work for insurance companies, for for medical device manufacturers, and for pharmaceutical companies. And everyone has like a different thing they're trying to go after. I would say pharmaceuticals, or I'm sorry, medical in, in general is is kind of like its its own sphere. It's its own earth. Every, there's, I could do regulatory conversations around that, device conversations. Yeah. AI is going to upend medical in a way that is profound in the next decade. And everyone likes to talk about things like, well, a radiologist that can look at scans and find better uh, or more accurate predictions or, or, or better causes of whatever it might be ailing a patient. I get that. But there's things that are more practical, like being able to scan a document that comes out from the FDA and understand how that impacts your business. That's not as sexy as, you know, right. uh, radiation images being scanned, but might have a much more meaningful impact. So if you are in those industries or specifically in healthcare, um, you know, understand that your world is so big that even the things that are considered unsexy actually might have a massive impact to use AI with. Absolutely. What about um, B2B companies? Um, do, do you see untapped potential in, in using AML there? Yeah, I think a lot of sales efforts in B2B. I've seen greater uptick in AI that's trying to predict which companies are ready to spend in the sector which you sell. I think that's, um, I know that's just kind of a, an ancient problem with sales, right? But that's that's still something that I'm seeing AI have a, a pretty big impact on. And then the second one is we've seen a huge disruptions in supply chain in the last two years for yeah. any number of crazy things that have happened on earth. Um, and it's it's interesting to see now that AI models are, of course, better at predicting them because we've all had to have different conversations around what happens when there's a global systemic failure and not have it just be a 2008 conversation like oh it's every once in a while it's like well in the last two years we've probably had what three or four not even not COVID, just other things that have been enormous you know systemic failures at a global scale like the whole silicon manufacturing process right and so when we think about our you know supply chain and ai and we think about B2B and the contracts we make and how we fulfill them. You know, it's expensive to always be just in time, to always have to go grab it and then emergency ship it. And if we can build better models to do this, this kind of supply chain planning, even considering all the crazy things in the world, I think there's a, a huge opportunity there in the B2B space. Yeah. 
Yeah, completely agree. And so kind of kind of to follow on the, the supply chain, but, you know, a lot of a lot of what I deal with, uh, you know, in, in the space is consumer facing and, uh, you know, whether in the MarTech space or, or related areas and stuff like that. So, you know, there's I think there's a lot of talk about that. But AI ML certainly plays some significant roles and can play some significant roles internally within an organization, maybe something that a a customer never actually sees, but they can still experience some of the benefits from. Where do you see some opportunities there? I mean, you know, anything from on the the employee experience to operations of an organization. What what do, what do you see as some some opportunities and maybe even some untapped potential there? So I've seen some pretty cool stuff come out of um, some HR startups, which I won't name just yet because they're they're still kind of stealth mode. But <laughs> the the idea around understanding HR and understanding the the employee's experience with AI, I think is, is going to have a pretty big impact on the workplace. I think right now we basically hire HR professionals to do a job, which even they would say like is stressing the boundaries of what humans can do. Like how can you have one HR professional to like a thousand employees and expect any level of interpersonal understanding of like how they enjoy their job. Right. And I think that the opportunities there for AI to help uh, dissect and understand and bubble up like, hey, these people need this kind of attention uh, is is going to be really cool to see. And I think it's going to improve just workplace satisfaction in general as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was talking with somebody else the other day about um, some AI related issues um, to, to operational and, and employee related things. And, you know, they use the term, you know, AI as augmented intelligence as well. Right. So it's it's humans and, and AI working together and, and working together better instead of, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm an optimist when it comes to, to technology. And, and so I don't think the machines are going to replace us. I think it's a matter of augmenting what we're able to do. And, you know, to your, to your HR example, you know, one person can't know a thousand people, but if they have better insights into them, you know, the, that those tools can augment them in their, in their job. Is that, do you agree with that? Is that, uh, you know, what, what do you think about that? Entirely. A hundred percent agree with you. I think we hear so many um, crazy conversations where people talk about the machines taking over and uh, right. <laughs> us all being out of work. And I, I mean, like, I don't know if, like, if you hear the people that are saying that, right, like, like they can't even get their own cars to drive themselves, <laughs> right? So I'm not sure why they're pretending that AI is going to take over the world. It, it's not. I build a model and the model does one thing. If you wanted a model to, let's say, pick up a box and then open it, that would be two separate AI models, one to pick it up and then one to open the box. That's right. the state of AI right now. So human augmentation is, or really machine augmentation for humans is is obviously the answer, right? It's like, let's not have humans pick up that box anymore. That's going to break some backs, right? But we're never going to have something, unless someone wants to invest in thousands of models with our current technology, we're never going to have that kind of fear, at least not in the, the near term, like the next 10 years. After that, I think the world's a different place. But right now, like everyone should have their head in the game on AI augments people. It doesn't replace them. Yeah, wonderful. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up here, just as far as recommendations, if somebody wants to read, listen, watch more about this topic, any anywhere they should look that, that you would recommend? Man, that's actually a big question. A lot of the stuff right now is, like academic papers and blogs and such. But what I would what I would suggest is, especially for your audiences, I would look at competitors, their engineering blogs, 
to see what AI projects they have going. Not as like a not as like a research espionage kind of crazy thing, but just to get ideas around like where maybe the industry is going. So maybe not even competitors, maybe vendors that are aligned with you. There isn't a great source of this is the definitive state of AI. It's the Wild West. And um, kind of getting a, a scuttlebutt of what everyone is doing in your industry is probably the best way to have for you to unlock an idea of your own. So it's, it's less to copy and more to say, oh, I get with that. That's right. They probably can improve X. I can improve Y in a similar way. Wonderful. No, that's, that's great. I, I love that advice. Well, Luke, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. For those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? You, know, you can follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Luke Aragoni, or you can you know, go ahead and find my site and you can reach out to us if you need some work. Wonderful. Uh, Aragoni.com. Great. Well, yeah, again, I'd like to thank Luke Aragoni, CEO and Principal Data Scientist at Aracor AI for joining the show. Thanks for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.